0: Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, July 13th, 2017. This is episode 12 Old Testament Holidays. to download a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am Jason Snell, your host, and this week I am joined by two wonderful guests, the editor-in-chief of The Wirecutter and an old friend of mine from our Apple coverage days, Jackie Cheng. Hello.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. Also a, an old colleague of mine, editor-in-chief at IDG, it's John Phillips. Hello. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to have both of you here, uh, both people familiar to me, uh, to talk about some wild and wacky stuff that happens in the middle of summer in the technology world. But, uh, you know, there's interesting stuff going on, lots of trends to talk about. Um, So these are the most interesting stories of the week as chosen by myself and, of course, my download podcast producer, Mr. Stephen Hackett, who is not here today. But thank you, Stephen, for helping me put these together. Brings us to our first topic, Prime Day. Yes, Christmas in July in terms of shopping, because Tuesday was Amazon Prime Day. At my house, we used a sous vide machine we bought on Amazon to cook a steak from Amazon Fresh and a pot we got from Amazon, and then we ate it while watching... um Let's say Mozart in the jungle. Anyway, Amazon said its Prime Day shopping event was the largest day of sales ever, surpassing those other Old Testament holidays, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Yeah. Um, so, so, Prime Day. I know it's Prime Week, really. We're all just living in Amazon's world here. Um, uh, John, let's start with you. Um you know, you were talking to me this week about uh, about whether Prime Day is actually good for consumers and what it has done to the the world of tech journalism, which you and I are both heavily involved in.
2: Yeah, pr- profound impacts on on both sides of of that question. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily great for consumers. If there are some deals out there, uh, you know, I think one of the things that The wire cutter is acutely aware of, and and we're aware of too, is that a lot of these deals aren't really deals. So the the consumer has to be super careful about making sure they're just not making an impulse buy um, on something that Amazon tells them is a deal. Uh, And so by going to smart websites that are uh, that are vetting the the products and uh, really looking at the pricing history. that that could tell you a lot about whether Amazon is just trying to trump up uh, this this faux holiday, or whether you're actually getting something um, at a special price. So so there's that, but also you know the other little dirty secret is that Amazon is they're they're using this to drive um prime subscriptions and so i can't imagine at this point anyone who doesn't have a subscription to prime i do uh, and i find it very useful and it's it's cost effective for me but I, that's a big motivator there for them and of course you know the best deals are probably the the amazon gadgets uh, so there's that as well. But the other side of it is what this means for tech publishers as it becomes more and more difficult to make money off of advertising and we're not charging for our content, then there's the dirty little secret of affiliate links. Uh, so, um, it but, you know, this, it's, we we provide useful content for our readers and uh, we do make small commissions on any anytime they click on something but that's that's something that should be completely transparent and everyone needs to know when they're paying attention to prime day so. I just spilled a lot, and I'm <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, maybe maybe people already know this, but I, I thought it would be something useful for listeners who don't understand how this works to to get some insight into.
0: Jackie, uh, Amazon and other retailers is, has been a a key part of the wire cutters business model. Right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny just on that exact topic. Um, you know, I think for Wirecutter, we, you know, we, we bend over, over backwards to make it clear to readers, um, on our site, pretty much everywhere we can get in front of people that we, that is how we make money. We make money through affiliate links. Um, you know, we see it as, of course, not everybody sees it this way, but we see it as actually, you know, less causing less conflict of interest than a lot of advertiser based models. Um, but you know, the way that we present it is like, if you click the link and you buy the thing, yes, we get a cut of it. And if you don't buy because you hate the recommendation or you return the item because it was terrible, we don't get the, the, the cut. And so I think, um, you know, that's something we talk about a lot, but, uh, as, as, you know, was just being discussed, I think a lot of people are beginning to link their own affiliate links, especially on days like Prime Day and Black Friday and things like that. Um, and that is not something that people are as aware of. Um, that said, back to the original topic, um, yeah, Prime Day is kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, I think when they first started it, it was, it really did seem much more like, um, a situation where they were kind of just trying to clear out like the warehouses mid year, you know, before they stock up for black Friday. But over the last couple of years, you know, this is the third year they did it. Um, and you know, at Wirecutter, we've been uh, covering prime day since the beginning, we have noticed that there is a larger volume now over the last couple of years of deals that we think are good. Um, that also means I, you know, and again, this is just our view of it. I also think there's a lot more, like there's a larger volume of deals that are also bad. Um, <laughs> like we, I was actually just looking at our own stats and um, this isn't necessarily a reflection of Prime Day itself, but you know, with the resources we were able to throw at it, you know, for the first year, we probably had like 1% of the deals that we scanned were we thought were good. And last year was roughly the same. And this year we posted like a bigger number of deals than we ever have, but it was a lower percentage. So it was like less than a half a percent. So I think that, in general, like when they're throwing more deals out there, yeah, of course, you're going to hit on more good ones. But I think there's also more bad ones.
0: So obviously, it worked because they said it was their largest day of sales ever. So it does seem that that's exactly what's happening is Amazon has created a perception that there are deals to be had in order to get people to go and, and splurge, even though it may be less than 1% of the actual uh, products on their site that are supposedly deals are 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 good buys or not buys that you could have had at some at some other time. Would you wh- what's what's the advice you would give? I mean, this is also true for Black Friday or Cyber Monday or anything like that, where there's a shopping event that a lot of the deals are not um, necessarily as good as they you might think on first glance. So, do you have advice about about how people should? should approach these shopping holidays is should they should they avoid them or should they just uh, read the wire cutter and uh, pc world <laughs> and uh, shop smartly
1: i mean uh, of course i think that they should read the wire cutter and pc world uh, and shop smartly but um but no you know it's my personal advice which is kind of how we set things up um with our deals team at Wirecutter, is not something that a lot of people like <laughs> um, I really think that you have to go into these things. If you're going to be a, a black Friday shopper or whatever, you kind of have to go into it knowing what items you're already interested in. Um, Just so that you have a frame of mind of what you're looking for. Cause I, I really think that I, I really think that like, People in general maybe believe too much when, when a retailer tells you something's a deal and they don't really like know if it's a deal or not. I think that you have to know what you're looking for and like generally what, how, what the price is so that you, c- you can know what the deal is. Um, but obviously not everyone can do that for, you know, every single thing. So that's, I think, when you turn to the wire cutter <laughs> and, and everyone else who does great coverage. Um, I, I just think that, you know, there's so many, uh, there's so many facets that could make something not a great deal. Um, The worst being sometimes manufacturers will release similar products to great products, but they will be like missing like one feature or something and the skew will be slightly different. And then that one will be marked down. Um, That kind of thing happens a lot, especially with like TVs and that kind of thing. Mm. So um that's just, you know. Those are the traps that that are laid for all of us.
2: Yeah, and sometimes you're looking for um, like just a, a certain size of TV, and you might see, wow, there's a 46 inch TV that's available for 200 bucks, and it just seems so good, you have to go for it. But if you really dig into the feature set, you discover. Wow! If I just spent three hundred dollars, I could get everything I want. Um, and I'm just making these prices up on the fly, but <laughs> but I but I think you, you understand the point. There's, I mean, sometimes I, I think at least our position is that yeah, spend an extra sixty dollars, hundred dollars, and get something that's going to last you another six years rather than something you're going to want to just exchange next year anyhow. So um, sometimes these these deals, the, because the pricing is so incredibly low, it, it creates the the impulse buy factor where you just rush into it because just you might look at that main spec like the diagonal inches of the of the display and decide that's got to be the one I want.
1: I also think that that Amazon does kind of juice that impulse buy feeling uh, because they put a lot of their deals in lightning deals now, mm-hmm. which are basically time limited. You know, and it kind of forces you to decide: are you going to buy now, or are you going to buy, or are you just going to let it go? And I think that's kind of what they want. There's powerful
0: psychology. I think we talked about this on a, on a previous episode of Download. That um, uh, obviously there must be people on staff at Amazon who are experts in buying psychology, just like literally psychologists who who know about how consumers behavior works because so much of what they do, not just the lightning deals or the limited supply, which they do sometimes where you've got to buy it now before it evaporates, but uh, also just the concept of Prime Day itself is there's a psychology at work there of you've got a cue in your mind of things you'd like to buy someday, but you don't know when or if you'll ever get to them. And then by saying, well, today's a shopping day, today's Prime Day, um, and everything's a deal it must do something to powerfully kind of erode that that little uh the barrier that separates our personal shopping cues from things we've actually bought because you can't argue with the results like they know what they're doing they this seems to be successful and it's and it's up to all of us to like find tools to work against our I guess, our baser urges in order to, uh, to because, because they know what they're doing and it seems to be working and it's not necessarily sinister or anything, but uh, a lot of these deals aren't great deals and people should keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, and I think I would add that people need to see every day of the year as a potential deal day because it is yeah. true. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so much competition because Amazon has wields such power that the best buys of the world, you know, Walmart. I'm sure there's many more. Um, they, they also have very competitive pricing, but you're not going to hear about it because Amazon just has such a strong um, marketing machine behind Prime Day, and also it's um, it's backed up by the fact that they have such strong affiliate relationships with publishers like like PC World and Mac World. And so, um, you know, again, it's a very symbiotic relationship as as far as the affiliate deals. And I do agree with Jackie that it does create a pure form of tech journalism, because if you look at Wirecutter, if you look at PC World, we're going to look at the entire product universe, and we're going to make our choices not based on where the best affiliate commissions are, um, but what's best for the readers. And, you know, I, I know that that 's one hundred percent true of both our websites so um, so you know we 're sort of going into it for, from a, the perspective of what 's good for the readers but um, but that said there 's there 's no doubt that we do respond to prime day as an event that we want to pay attention to because you know it 's there are deals to be had, and readers are hearing about it, and um, we look at it as. You know, not from the perspective of, well, we can make more affiliate commissions, but this is, uh, this is something our readers care about, and we want to steer them to the right deals and away from the bad deals. And I think both our sites surely do that with, with pretty um, you know cutting, cutting journalism behind it. But I think there are a lot of sites out there, probably a lot of the smaller sites, who see it as an opportunity to cash in on um, the, the, uh, the machinery that Amazon has created around Prime Day.
0: Yeah. Well, I have somebody with a small blog of my own and and also a podcast network that covers stuff that is, is often on uh, Amazon. I put Amazon links on everything as a matter of course. It doesn't actually exactly. affect how I, yeah. I don't strategize around it, but I do get the Amazon affiliate newsletters that point out like, here are all the different ways you can market Prime Day. So, you know, yeah. I'm sure there are people who fully leverage that and I guess more power to them. But, um, but, but yeah, this is, it, it's a funny place we're we're all in now. Um, I wanted to mention, speaking of there're always being deals a tool that i really love and it's based on actually amazon's api uh, but it's camel 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 yeah yeah oh yeah right which tracks any given product in amazon's database and what the current selling price is and you can actually see its historical prices on a chart and it will send you an alert when it goes below a certain uh, dollar amount and you can find out that yeah there sometimes it's a random day there will be a a huge price drop in a product you care about and you make that decision of you know will there be a better deal later or not or maybe this is the time for me to buy and that is a that's a powerful tool i've used that for some of my kind of unicorn products that i've been like oh i really want this automatic tea maker from breville that's what it that was like my number <laughs> one right it's like oh it's so awesome but it's too expensive and i tracked that thing for a year and it finally oh, wow. it dropped on one day it dropped like $50 lower than i'd ever seen it saw it and i was like yeah okay I'm gonna buy it yeah. now,
2: and that's that's the tool we use to vet the, the the prime deals as they come out. You know, that's that's so easy. You just check it and you determine is this a real deal or is this just a ten ten cent price drop? Right. Um, and if it is, then you might want to wait a little longer and some other day it could be cheaper.
1: I um I, I've been using Camel 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 to basically justify in actually in the exact same way, but the opposite justify putting off, uh, buying one of those Instapots <laughs> that everyone loves <laughs> because every time I go to look at it on Amazon, it's, it's like full price or whatever, which is fine, except that I know that it goes on sale enough. So I always go over to camel, camel, camel. And I'm like, okay, can I put this off like one more month and wait till it goes down again? And like, I don't know, it's useful for me in that way too.
0: <laughs> See, it works either way. It depends on whether you want to spend money or, or not, but, um, but yeah, absolutely. Well, it works see for me it worked that way until it didn't right it was like do i really (laughs) want to buy this uh this tea maker now no it's too expensive but then you know i keep getting the emails alert it's 10 cents lower than it's ever been it's two (laughs) dollars lower than it's ever been no 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 it's 50 dollars. okay fine you win right shut up camel 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 i don't want to hear from you anymore i bought the damn thing
2: as long as we're sharing little uh little deal tips, uh what I've been using lately is it has nothing to do with deals but it's Citycard price rewind. And so mm. if you buy anything at any price and you find a lower price, as long as you provide pretty um pretty easy to access uh, pricing information and proof and receipts, then at least the City Card will refund the price difference. And it's, it's pretty generous. I think it's up to $1,500 a year. Um, so sometimes I will buy a full price purchase and just say, screw it. I'll, I'll wait till <laughs> I'll, I'll find a cheaper price sometime in the future and then do the paperwork. It takes about 10 minutes and you know, two weeks later, you get a refund on your city, on your city card statement. Wow! And I, I would have to imagine that other uh, credit card companies have similar uh, mechanisms. So there's that, readers of Download. <laughs> readers Thank you. audience members i'm stuck just, in a I'm, st- I'm stuck in a web uh, model here I know, I,
0: it's taken me a long time to get over saying uh, saying readers is the generic for an entire audience but yeah. I, <laughs> I i think i'm, I'm i think i'm uh, doing it well this has been a great conversation i'm glad to have both of you on it wasn't my plan to have you on prime day week but it was a perfect time to have you on um we have more to talk about but let me take a break because one way this podcast makes money is not from affiliate revenue but from sponsorships so this episode of download is brought to you by hover when you have a great idea for your blog or store or startup or project you want to give it a great domain name you could it could be amazingdealfinder.com Info, if you wanted, that might be taken. But whatever that domain is, you can find it easily, ridiculously easy, easily with Hover. It's easy to find that perfect name. You don't have to compromise because they have more than 400 domain extensions to end your domain with. It, we, the world has really moved on from.com,.net,.org. There are so many different domain extensions now. All the classics that you're used to and the new extensions, they're available on Hover. And once you get your domain signed up, you can use it to get a more on-brand or professional Email address Because Hover also offers email for, for your domain and it works with whatever email programs you're currently using. So find the perfect domain name for your idea. It's out there. You can find it. You will get a good domain name. Go to hover.com slash download FM and get 10% off your first purchase. I have so many domains at Hover. You're going to love it and you're going to keep using it. Once again, that's hover.com slash download FM to find out more and get 10% off your first purchase purchase hover domain names for your ideas thank you to hover for supporting download all right see ad spots that's another way to make money on the internet uh let's move on to topic number two which is about phones that are a little more expensive than the usual (laughs) this week there was an awful lot of talk about high-end smartphones some details of the second generation google pixel leaked the camera maker red uh, late last week teased an expensive smartphone with a holographic display and the iphone rumors continue to swirl involving apple releasing an additional higher priced phone alongside two iphone 7s models this fall so why why so much interest? Why so much hubbub about premium phones? Um, is this because that's where all the money is to be made in the smartphone market? <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm curious uh, what what you guys think about what's. What's involved in 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 all of this? I mean, summer hubbub about expensive phones. First of all, this is
2: what tech journalists care about, and so if you're a company that (laughs) is, I mean, we care about the the best, Mm and we just sort of gravitate towards that. Um, And so if you're a company who's trying to create a marketing story, not that Google and Apple need much more press than they're getting, but uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna create the splash around the Halo phone. Of of course, you know, Apple just started making. Uh, arguably affordable phones. (laughs) What would the 5C? Was that the first one you can call?
0: And the SE. Yeah, the SE. yeah, Yeah,
2: after that. Yeah. So, I mean, Apple's always done... Super premium, um, and Pixel. The Pixel started as premium, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, you're going to get a bigger marketing splash uh, and a trickle down effect from a premium phone. But it does. I mean, it does remind us that most of the world, uh, you know, they're not necessarily buying the expensive stuff. They're walking into their carrier store and they're accepting the free phone that they get. So, you know, that could be a, a Galaxy S5, maybe if you're if you're a Samsung user. But you know, they're the most interesting products out there. It's the cutting edge, so. That's why we're interested in them.
1: Yeah, I I was going to say something similar at first, which is just that, like, you know, the the super high-end phones are the ones that get all the coverage. Um, Of course, I I do actually think that is part of it, but, um, you know, I, I think the other part of it is that... the. The audience who goes after super high-end phones, it is, I mean, in the grand scheme of the universe, it is a small audience. However, um, and again, like, this is something that I think about a lot, uh, uh you know, as part of Wirecutter is like who you're targeting when you're writing up this stuff is even though, it's a niche audience kind of compared to the whole rest of the world. Um, I do think that that audience is like maybe the second biggest after the audience that is going for like the, you know, the affordable phone. And so in some ways, you know, I think getting in front of that second biggest audience of the people who are going after, uh, what is effectively like a luxury item? Um, you know, there, there are certain benefits to going after that audience and making a big splash, like in the news with that, this kind of stuff. And it's partially because, uh, I mean, of course, again, this is my, my own view, but like, I think that some of the people who are buying into that level of product, um, you know, they tend to be, you know, what people sometimes call influencers or at least people who have very wide networks. So there's certain ways that, um, I feel manufacturers, Apple included, you know, is trying to get in with like a certain group of people, and the the motivations are probably different than, uh, you know, when they're marketing like the five C to the masses, and so it, I think it's really just about visibility, actually.
2: And uh, when you were saying that, I reminded me like these are the, the the phones that people are talking about now are the cheaper phones of tomorrow so that you know maybe the i mean won't the um won't the sevens the sevens available now just be discounted presumably Uh, yeah and so that becomes the budget phone for a lot of people but you know about the seven and the portrait mode the seven plus and the portrait mode and so you know you're you you you're still um apple still benefits from all the hype that that they received last year so there's carryover effect too
0: what do you think about this rumor that the um that there may be this higher end iPhone on top of the sort of what's expected 7S models and you know I I wonder if that is going to be risky for Apple in terms of making people less are people who are going to buy a new iPhone going to be less interested in a 7s if they know that a an even better iPhone exists that costs more maybe outside of their price range is that seems to me that that's a that's potentially a big gamble on Apple's part to have a have an extra high end phone in the in the product
1: line man I have actually thought about this a lot, and I, I don't, I don't know that I can say I have figured it out, really. Um, but I do, I guess, you know, I think that it is a little bit of a gamble, but I think the people who would wait are those same people they're they're people like us people who follow you know tech news very closely and maybe do have a little bit of money that they are they want to spend on that nicer thing and i think that a lot of regular people even regular people who have the most current phone you know who like have the the 7 or whatever now um a lot of regular people don't follow that stuff as closely and they probably will still just buy the next phone <laughs> and so in some ways like maybe it's not as much of a gamble as we seem to think like you know maybe they really are just Sort of like, you know, they know some people might wait and it's probably like a minority of people, but it's the it's the right people. Uh, And then everyone else will probably just buy it. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, I I will admit I have always been a a heavy skeptic of these kinds of rumors, and I think that I'm kind of skeptical of this one, too.
0: It's a weird, it's definitely a weird rumor. It's not anything Apple's done before. But it seems, if the rumors are to be believed, it seems like Apple has got this decision point of the the, they're not able to sell that next generation phone for the, you know, in the slot of the existing phones at the volume of the existing phones. So they either, I think we heard this last year, too, at one point, it's like, do do you release it or do you just not release it and let everything ride for another year? When some of your competitors are coming out, with phones that are you know all the rumors edge-to-edge screens things like that getting rid of the bezels on the screens it's a i don't know john what's your take on the on the kind of high-end iphone story
2: when i when i think about what they would do with the the two uh seven s's and then adding what were they what are they calling it what they might call it the the iphone pro iphone pro
0: iphone yeah yeah, something like that and it sort of
2: reminds me of um uh, i mean you do have uh Samsung, the biggest competitor on the Android side, they, they have a bunch of SKUs. So um, it, it could be Apple adopting a more traditional uh, mobile hardware model where, yeah, I mean, Samsung has two different sized S8s, then they're going to come out with a Note 8, which has a whole different feature set and, and storyline to it. LG has the G6, but has a bigger phone in the V20, and they'll be in V30. Uh, coming out and it has a different story behind it. So it's not, it's not necessarily the flagship phone, but the V30 will be probably for creators. So I could see, um, Apple looking at the Android side of things or not even casting it as an Android uh, emulation, but just as this is what our smartphone competitors. Do, and just looking and, and thinking, you know what? There's a, is an opportunity for more than two SKUs, for more product differentiation. I I think the um the thing that's most sort of dubious about the rumors we're hearing is a, is the idea of a twelve hundred dollar phone. That's wh- that's where it really begins to get uh, beyond <laughs> the realm of plausibility. Like really, twelve hundred dollars for a phone? I mean, we use them more than our tablets, so so maybe. Um, but I think if they're going to do that then it creates some serious questions about. Well, how much more can you add to the seven S's to make them a worthy upgrade over the sevens? Right. And then how could you make mm-hmm. this the the pro so amazing and magical that mm-hmm. that you're gonna say no, screw it, I'm not gonna buy the seven S's. I'm going straight for the pro. And I the 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 um the features we've been hearing about, and they're all rumors. But I'm not sure they necessarily sound um, important enough or or practical enough to to really sway a lot of people. But I don't know. Uh,
0: something I mentioned in my piece on MacWorld today about about this was the it's like a side effect of Apple's great success with the iPhone and their limited number of um, of models is that basically if you're going to make an iPhone, every component in it has to be something that can be made several hundred million times a year because those are the volumes that Apple's iPhones currently have and it's way more than any other competitors even Samsung which makes a lot of galaxies uh, it it's Samsung's phone business is spread across lots of different models, including lower end models. And I do wonder sometimes if Apple's a victim of their own success in the sense that they have a hard time getting uh, components, cutting edge components that they want to put in a cutting edge phone, realizing that if they put this in a mainstream iPhone, they, they can't just make 10 million of them. Because they, they, that won't happen. They're gonna. They need to sell a couple hundred million a year, and yeah. uh, if that's the case, mm-hmm. I mean, in the pa- in, in the past, Apple's outfoxed this by buying factories, buying you know, essentially contracting with manufacturers for years and buying all the supply of something many years in advance. And maybe they're playing that game again now. I don't know, but uh, it, it is interesting to think that Apple might be better off making a high, super high-end smartphone that only sold a uh, uh, ten million or twenty million. Or even forty million, because they they literally can't make two hundred million of them in a year.
1: That's a great point, actually. Like I I think that if this rumor even is slightly true, that's probably part of the equation. I think you're definitely. Onto something. Because I'm reminded, like Andy Rubin,
0: speaking of high end phones, Andy Rubin's phone um, that hasn't come out yet, uh, the guy who created Android and now has a new phone that I can never remember the name of it. The Essential. Essential, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's, he admitted, and it's a, it's a very impressive looking, super high end, uh, cutting edge specs kind of phone. And he admitted there's no way they could make more than, I think he said 10,000 of them. And it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, my God. Well, oh my God. <laughs> well, you know, it's or maybe it was 100,000. It was a very small <sighs> number. And when you look at the phone models, most phone models from any manufacturer other than Apple and Samsung don't ship in volume even remotely close to what Apple and Samsung ship. And so, yeah, you could totally you can get 20,000 OLED panels and make a phone that costs $1,000 and sell it. But what if you need to sell 150 million of them i I don't know that's a weird if if apple does do this i think one of the reasons is they want to still have a cutting-edge phone and they realize that they they can't ship it in volume so they're going to split the difference but i guess we'll see i i'm not entirely convinced either john i like i feel like apple really wants to make a phone like this and these rumors Mm -hmm. are coming from that place but will they pull the trigger and actually do it or will they just be like nope it's a 7s everything everything's good see you next year i don't know
2: yeah, I mean, also we're hearing rumors about their, them having trouble finishing the software. And I don't know, I haven't read the rumors deep enough, or I don't know if the rumors include the information if that applies to the the, the rumored Pro or if this would apply to the 7Ss as well. But they could actually just have manufacturing issues or um, right. soft, software issues that could prevent them from coming out with the Pro.
0: Nobody's stopping them from releasing a higher-end iPhone sometime early next year. Not every iPhone has to be released in september
2: also yeah. and, just. and that would be that would be awesome
0: press just to go off cycle or what we believe to be off cycle <laughs> that would be exciting did, did either of you see this story about the about red making their new phone the yeah. uh, the yeah. the hydrogen which which i'm not convinced yeah. it sounds like it's a real product but they do have a track record of making real products but this is the twelve hundred dollar <laughs> to sixteen hundred dollar uh, hologram phone what that?
2: Yeah, I read the uh, the R story that you sent, and um, boy, it reminded me a lot of the essential. And boy, what was that company? That Chinese company that announced like thirty products in in a single afternoon? Um, oh right. Oh, that was I forget th- their name, three, but yeah, three or four months ago, they were
0: going to solve every product category ever. Right, it, was, it, yeah.
2: from a car to a drone, yeah. I believe. <laughs> yeah. But yeah so the the red phone uh, that's that's a different kind of phone, but we'll call the it the hydrogen red phone. the hydrogen yeah um it's yeah it sounded so fantastical in in the product description, and um, I don't think there's a good track record for for phones that are this far out there, or even phones that are promoting um, pro level cameras well while this one didn't, which was odd because that's the red story is yeah. to mm-hmm. is to give you like this amazing 4k video uh, camera. So I don't know. It sounds um, another product that sounds a bit implausible. And I don't think people are going to buy it. You know, we want to review it because we love digging into the camera. Uh, the camera performance of of these high-end Android phones and the iPhone. But um, I, I think the features that they were touting just are not the kind of thing the average consumer needs, or even the hardcore enthusiasts. I think people want better cameras, but I'm not sure about all the features they're promising.
1: Yeah, I, I just really, again, it, in a lot of ways, this is a perfect example of what I was sort of talking about earlier, which is that I really think that this thing is... Like, sure, it might technically exist in real life, but, you know, like three people are going to buy it. I, I think it's really about marketing. I think it's so that everyone can talk about it. Like, we're talking about it here. You know, it, it is kind of insane, uh, you know, what they're trying to do with this. And then, yeah, like up to $1,600 is a lot of money. Um, you know, people spend that much money on a computer now. <laughs> so it's, it's. I I really think, you know, maybe those three people will love their Red phones and then the rest of us will <laughs> love reading about it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think there, there there could be some degree of just creating larger brand ID around a, a crazy launch like this. But this isn't Apple or Samsung. This is Red, which no one's ever heard of. So what's wh- what what is the goal? So to get people to buy the cameras? I mean, maybe they can come out with an affordable consumer camera, but I just don't understand how this really advances Red's business plan because people are not going to buy the phone.
0: It sounds to me like the CEO decided, hell, we can make a smartphone. Let's make an awesome smartphone. And they're like, oh, all right. And, he's, <laughs> and the fact that the announcement is sort of like, I'll send you ones from my private stock is also a little bit strange. I don't know. It's, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying, the reason I mentioned this story at all is there seems to not yet be a, an upper limit to what a high-end smartphone might be, at least in terms of what's been announced. We'll see what actually ships because they can sell a tight Titanium one for $1,600 then. More power to them, I guess. Um, Before we move on to our third topic, I wanted to mention something I like to mention on this show, which is a story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar but might be worth mentioning. SoundCloud laid off 40% of its staff last week, and according to a TechCrunch report, the remaining employees are... um, A little bit concerned about the company's future, a corporate memo was circulated, perhaps trying to reassure people, saying that the company had enough, quote, runway until Q4, which essentially (laughs) means that unless something big happens like a sale, the company might not make it into 2018. I really feel for all the current and former employees of SoundCloud, but I will say this, if you are a podcaster or a musician and you have work that is posted on SoundCloud, maybe you should save that now so that you've got your own copy just in case the worst happens. Maybe Consider, if you're a podcaster, a different host. There are a lot of good podcast hosting options out there, and most of them already do a better and more compatible job of yeah. serving podcasts than SoundCloud ever did. Just be warned. It's too bad SoundCloud was always a clever idea, but it looks like uh, it, it's in peril now, and everybody who relies on it should be aware
2: and of that. What do you do if you have a clip of you trying to get off the phone from with a Comcast customer support person?
0: Uh, well, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. <laughs> do you have to save your clip? <laughs> I, I hope so. Or, or do you have to invest in, a, in some recording software and play it and then record it back and walk away with it? I don't know. Because, because in my memory, the, the, the clip of Ryan, uh,
2: Ryan Block arguing, yeah. r- arguing with, with, with Comcast will always, I'll always attach that to the SoundCloud uh, file that was embedded into. I can't remember where, maybe a personal blog.
0: Yeah, the definitive SoundCloud. Yeah. For me, yeah, that's I'll the thought.
2: definitive SoundCloud.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of Comcast, actually, yes, thank you segue. for that, John. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, our last topic is net neutrality. Under the Trump administration, the FCC is on the march to roll back net neutrality. These are the rules that basically require that internet providers treat all internet traffic identically, rather than prioritizing some traffic over others. On Wednesday this week, it's like Boxing Day for Prime Day. Um, there was a day of action in support of net neutrality. Uh, it was supported by internet giants, including Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Twitter. Without net neutrality, potentially internet providers can pick winners and losers. They can stifle competition and the creation of new services and line their pockets by making deals with big content providers like Netflix, which Comcast certainly has, to keep the content flowing. And the problem is, there's it's not like there's a lot of competition in terms of Broadband providers in most of the United States. I can tell you from personal experience, Comcast is literally my only choice for fast broadband internet in my house it's that or nothing. So I, I sort of have to take it and leave it. Now, I I would love to come up with a pointed question for both of you here, but the best I could come up with is, wow, this is pretty terrible, right? <laughs> so what do you think about the current sad state of affairs in terms of internet providers and net neutrality and, and the like, Jackie?
1: Well, uh, it, sucks, it is- It sucks, right? It sucks. Yeah, it is terrible. <laughs> um, I can agree on that. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because um, I used to cover- net neutrality when I was covering techniques more. And, you know, it's funny, because when we were kind of going through this, uh this period last time, when we were moving towards those regulations that are now, you know, we're kind of stomping on, Um, I, I felt that and I don't think it was just me. I, I really felt like we only barely got there. Like, I felt like, um, you know, we were we as in like, you know, I don't know, the people, <laughs> I guess we're sort of struggling against this already, like this, the fact that um, Internet providers were already struggling with corporations on this exact issue. And I was not super optimistic that we would actually get to a point where we were going to actually protect net neutrality. So when it happened, I was very relieved. But I, you know, in some ways, I am not surprised that we're back here. Um, even if it was not, uh, the Trump administration, like, frankly, it could have been anybody that might have brought us back here. Uh, because corporate interests are very strong and they, um, know how to twist some, twist some arms. Um, all I can say is that I hope that people are paying attention so that, I don't know, we can try and speak up about it again. Um, but I fear that, I fear that, you know, my real fear is that a lot of, regular people out there just don't um, know enough about what it means. And so, you know, that that's always the problem that you struggle against when this kind of thing comes up. And I just hope that Um, You know, we can all educate our our slightly less technical friends and family and maybe get everyone more aware of this problem, because, uh, yeah, it would it would suck to have all of our content um, metered in various ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very confusing topic, as is often the case when it comes to government legislation. I was listening to a KQED forum um show on this like uh, either this morning or yesterday morning and it was amazing the how quickly the conversation steered towards well I don't want my my uh broadband um r- service rates to rise And uh, and it seemed like that seemed to be what people's major fears were. And then someone who was uh, uh, who has been working for years defending uh, net neutrality legislation jumped in and said, "No, I don't think people understand. That's really not the biggest issue here. Uh, This is this isn't necessarily something that's going to affect you in the pocketbook as an end user." uh this is really about people on so what what they would call the the last mile this is really the uh, you know the the ability of the next uh competitor to netflix having um a, a fighting chance to to start their business uh so it's it's a, so it's just very um it just, you know, it was a perfect example of how confusing this issue is and how people don't really understand that this, this uh, is about, uh, it's not about free speech, but it is about the ability to make sure that it's a fair playing field as far as news organizations not being throttled uh, or not being um, won down to another news organization or media organization that gets uh, a bandwidth spike. And so, you know, in preparation for this show, I was looking to see, well, what kind of media properties does Comcast or Verizon own? All example? of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when when you have your broadband provider also owning media, then the 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 logical conclusion is that they could start um, throttling the competitors to to the, the the media properties they own and and then spiking or giving a, a clean a clean pathway for for what they own and so if you're a you know if you own a, if your um, phone is on a Verizon plan then maybe maybe you're maybe either you get uh, much clearer bandwidth for for Verizon video or Verizon owned video which would be NBC. Or maybe that's the video that they're pushing on the app that appears on your on your um, crapware splattered home screen on your Verizon phone. So there's a lot of there's a lot of insidious ways that this could uh, sort of you know weasel its way into your user experience, and you may not be aware of that if you're just worried about well I just don't want to pay more. It's com- so it, it, it's Comcast, yeah, it's,
0: by the way, it, if owns NBC. Oh, Comcast. Oh, okay. So Verizon has been on a buying spree as well, and they own yeah. a whole lot of a whole right. lot of websites for, and a whole lot of new right. Uh, Rise and
2: owns TechCrunch. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah it does. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to keep. Oh, right. and HuffPo. I'm looking at a list. Tech oh yeah, crunch, HuffPo. yeah. yeah. And,
0: and the the assets of uh, the assets of Yahoo. I think. And yeah, indeed. Uh, it's it's it is the Netflix example is a good one. In fact, Netflix at one point um, at I think the Television Critics Association summer press tour they asked Reed Hastings about um, net neutrality, and I think he, his comment was basically, "It's not it's not a priority of ours anymore." And everybody's like, well, what do you mean? And, and the answer is because they already made all the deals with all the providers and their, you know, famously Netflix bandwidth on Comcast especially was actually quite bad. And the quality of the Netflix streams was poor. And then they made a deal with Comcast uh, to basically pay them off. And now the Netflix streams are great. And it does, it's not a, a too far jump to say a video streaming service from that's, that's got an interest either has been paid or is owned by Comcast to say they're going to zero rate it, which means like not charge it against your, um, your bandwidth cap and, but, and a streamline it. So it gets max bandwidth and then it's arch competitor, uh, charges against your bandwidth cap and is much slower. And yeah. how is that competition then?
2: Yeah. The thing I don't understand, and maybe one of you could answer this, is what is this? What what would the end of net neutrality do for um, for decreasing competition among ISPs? So right now, Jason, you could only get Comcast. So would would if if this title is it called Title Two? if whatever right, they want to stri- right. strike down whatever the trump administration wants to strike down would that make it even harder for isps to compete in 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 metropolitan areas because i think that is an issue that uh, that concerns a lot of people
0: i think it's the reverse which is it, the idea is that um, arguments about net neutrality oftentimes uh, and against enforcing it come back to we want to create competition. But and the problem is that there is no competition among Internet <laughs> providers. They can do what they want. And in most cases, you can't move to a different provider with different standards. So there's no there's no place to go. You can't create a rule book that says, look, if you don't like this product, get a different product if there's no other product to to buy, which is where we are now. That's not to say it couldn't change, but it probably would be wireless at this point that would have to be its competitor because mm-hmm. nobody's investing in more cables in the ground. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I really agree. And and that's a, a great point, is that A lot of places have only one real option. And so this is a situation where it, they claim like, like many things, frankly. Um, you know, they claim that it's for competition reasons, but people don't have access to that competition. So it's, you know, it's all a ruse really because, you know, am I going to switch to another great cable provider? No, because it doesn't exist. I only have one option. And you're right. Actually, you know, I just moved to New York from Chicago. And so, um, in my New York. Apartment, my my only option now is um what used to be time warner and is now called spectrum and it is so bad i'm not kidding you it is so bad that actually all those complaints by new yorkers about time warner cable all these years now oh, you've seen goodness. it's true <laughs> it is it is so bad that i actually like even for my tv i'm beginning to use i'm beginning to tether to my verizon phone and use lte and and it actually is better, wow. and uh, it's it's a horrible life, but like <laughs> at least I can get my stuff, you know. And so yeah, like that's that's a situation many of us are in, many normal people.
0: Yeah, my only competition here in uh, the Bay Area suburbs is AT and T, but it's just DSL. And I discovered uh, not too long ago that before even LTE, that uh, the AT and sort of ha- half bogus four G on uh, my iPhone was like twice as fast as my DSL and that's when I gave up and switched to Comcast because I had that, w- that that was it and now of course my bandwidth cap on Comcast is a terabyte and on uh, my my cell phone it's 10 gigabytes so there's a long way to go there but in the meantime that's it like Comcast has my business just because I can't get it anywhere else and that's that's really bad. At least, I will say this about my Comcast service. It's actually pretty good. It's pretty reliable. The service has been okay. The problem is, w- whether it's a service I count on that gets degraded because of net neutrality, or I happen to live someplace like where you live, Jackie, where the service is bad, there's nothing to be done. There's no There's no competitor. There's no way for people to compete on those wires. They're, they're, it's just spectrum. Ugh.
2: Yeah. And you have to imagine that there's lobbying behind all the scenes that um, because really what we need is is some kind of move like a, a, a Marshall plan to re- to really deliver real broadband right. to the whole United States. But then, you know, that there's lobbying behind Comcast and. In AT and T to make sure that never happens. So, Certainly. You know. Well,
1: you know, uh, Elon Musk is allegedly working on getting us faster satellite internet, <laughs> so maybe that's the solution one day.
0: That's the great equalizer. I, I, I have <laughs> yeah. to say, uh, the as the as the sad coda here, I I suspect that these places are so entrenched that the only way we're going to get out of it, because nobody's going to invest in laying more fiber, laying more copper cable, whatever it is, it is going to be some sort of wireless solution, whether it's cell phones or, or satellite or some combination thereof that disrupts this field and makes, uh, makes them have competition. It just hasn't happened yet. And so, you know, I hope it happens. But in the meantime, this is this is where we end up. And yeah, broadband speeds in the United States and access in the United States are pretty sad if you compare it to a lot of the rest of the world. And we have geographical issues because this is such a huge country and it's so spread out. But still, uh, this is not, it's not great. It's not not a great state of affairs. So, yeah. Happy uh, happy end of the week, everybody! <laughs> <Wah-wah>.
2: <laughs> oh, oh man, happy net neutrality day! Yeah, net
0: neutrality day. Uh, not kind of a it's a lump of coal in your stocking after Prime Day. In fact, oh no! Um, all right, this is uh, as we wrap up this show. I want to remind people what to look out for in the week ahead. What's coming up next week? Next week it's Comic Con in San Diego. So literally, if you've wanted to hear any sort of hype or PR or marketing for any movie, book, TV show, comic book, or any other entertainment property you can think of that's coming out in the next 12 to 36 months. You will almost certainly hear it sometime late next week. You may not even need to get on the internet in order to hear it. You could just close your eyes and enter a little bit of a trance, and the hype will reach you somehow. (laughs) That's how powerful Comic-Con is in San Diego. I'll be going to San Diego this weekend for my annual go-to-San-Diego-when-Comic-Con's-not-yet-in-session weekend because there's no crowds and nobody's like sweaty and wandering around aimlessly like a zombie. and It's pretty nice. Uh, I recommend it for anybody who's been to Comic-Con. Try without. Try San Diego without Comic Con. It's better. All right. That brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Jackie Chang, where can people find the stuff that you do? I guess I know the answer, but why don't you tell me?
1: Uh, well, you can find uh, the effects of my work um, at thewirecutter.com, where we recommend all kinds of stuff to make your life less terrible. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter, and my username is my. is e and then my name like email so it's e-j-a-c-q-i which is i i think i saw you say on twitter th-
0: th- this is basically a screen name that you chose like a dec- oh, man a couple decades ago and it and somehow it lives on
1: yeah i i well you know when i was online as a kid i came up with all kinds of crazy kid usernames. And then when I chose this one, E Jackie, it was in the, it was like 97, you know, right when, first of all, when email was becoming a thing with like a lot of people. And also I was just getting ready to go to college. So I was like, I'm going to be mature and use my real name and my uh, username. And then I've just been using it ever since. You're
0: you're stuck with it now. (laughs) Yeah. Cutting edge cyberpunk E Jackie, Uh,
1: John Phillips, uh,
0: where can people find the effects of your, what you do? I like that. Android
2: coverage will be on uh, PCWorld.com and Smart Home stuff on TechHive.com and Apple stuff when I do it, I do less and less of it, it seems, on MacWorld.com.
0: All good sites, I can tell you, from personal experience. Yeah,
2: I think you might have had something to do with some of those. I I, I resemble those (laughs) remarks.
0: Uh, Also, thanks to my producer, Stephen Hackett, uh, who is not here, but his presence is also felt. (laughs) Boy, everybody's presences are emanating and affecting things around them. That's amazing. Uh, I've been your host, Jason Snell. And until next week, thank you to John and Jackie. Uh, We will be watching the headlines so you don't have to. See you next week, everybody.